Hey everybody, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. My name is Michael Levan. And my name is Kristina Devochko. And today we are going to be talking to David Flanagan about running your own Kubernetes consultancy, uh, being an independent consultant in a specific arena, and not just, you know, uh, the, the cloud native or the platform engineering or just, you know, a, um, a general consultancy in that form, but really having a specific focus on, you know, a specific stack or a technology or a platform, whatever you'd like to call it. And I reached out to David because I, I thought this conversation would be super interesting because David and I uh, do, you know, uh, pretty much almost, you know, identical to the same thing. Uh, we've had similar clients, etc. So I thought it would be interesting to just have a conversation with David and, you know, ultimately talk about what uh, the consultancy looks like from from that perspective of, again, focusing on a specific platform or a specific technology. David, what's up, man? How you doing? Hi there. Yeah. Yeah. Things are good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited Absolutely. to talk about Kubernetes consultancy and whatever random subject we managed to veer onto, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so the, the first question that I have for you is what sparked the idea of being like, number one, I'm going to go independent. Number two, I'm going to focus on Kubernetes. All right. Two very different questions. So let me focus on one of them first, right? <laughs> so what made me focus on Kubernetes? So I'll kind of talk about my career a little bit today because I think like it's a series of unfortunate steps that got me into the Kubernetes community. Um, I've been a developer for 20 years and at the start of my career I focused mostly on writing C and daemons for Linux systems and one of their major challenges where all the servers were distributed geographically across the UK. Which meant when something went to shit, I jumped in the car and had to drive down to this to where the server was, hopefully get on site at some ridiculous time in the morning and then try and fix the server and then leave. That kind of got me interested in Puppet when it started making a little bit of waves on the, the early internets back in when was that? Like two thousand and six, maybe? And I was like, this is cool. Like I can just like write these manifests and like remotely execute commands and all these servers. Now, of course, SSH was a thing and I could have SSH done, but also things break and then SSH stops working and key management is hard. And, and in fact, keys back then weren't even a thing. Like we had the same password on every server. It was a wild west. However, there were times when machines wouldn't boot you drive. Anyway, Puppet allowed us to kind of minimize not the attack surface, but minimize human error from a point of view, if we could like test the manifest locally in a machine that we can reboot if needed. And then if it worked there, then we had some confidence that what we were going to do in the remote machines wouldn't cause it to power off or fail to boot. We did a lot of kernel stuff as well. So like if you break the kernel and the machine doesn't turn on, oops, um, not a fun drive. Having done all that puppet stuff, um, I started moving into SaltStack. I thought that was cooler. I was building more scalable systems. I was working for teams that had a higher scaling potential. That led me down into cloud migrations. I know this is a long answer to a very simple question. Sorry, no, no, Michael, no, but, please keep going. <laughs> keep going, please. Uh, I've done a lot of cloud migrations, helping people get onto AWS. And what people will tell you is the cloud is not infinitely scalable. Um, back in the days, you had to actually call AWS to get a lot of things tweaked. However... This led me to a challenge. I was working for a, a really cool company that does Metal Hammer Magazine, Classic Rock Magazine, Prog Magazine. If you're a metalhead like me, this was an awesome position. And scale uh, your servers to what you think your traffic is going to be. But if a new album drops that you didn't expect, if someone dies, you've got to scale very, very quickly. And that led me into like saying VM, uh, VMs are, are too challenging and I need something else. And at the same time... It was a small conference in the US called PyCon where Solomon announced containers. And I just went head first into this container thing. And I was like, this is the future. This is amazing. And my team hated me, of course, because like I always had a history of coming up with new shiny technology. I said, hey, let's go play with this now. And people were like, no, not again, Dave. Come on, stop it. Like we, we're, we're still in the middle of the last migration. And I'm like, no, 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 but this, this, is, this is better. Um, so yeah, containers were a thing. I actually invested a lot in Docker Swarm. Um, I was doing training on it at the time for organizations in the UK. Realized that Kubernetes was just taking off. Like everyone was talking about Kubernetes. I blame Kelsey Hightower mostly for this. I think his demos got loads of people hooked. And uh, I was like, you know what? I give up. Let's just go learn this Kubernetes thing. And uh, I've been in that community ever since. It's been about six years. 
Mm. I've done Kubernetes every which way from managed services. My preference is bare metal. Um, I spent a little bit of time working at Equinix Metal, so trying to make sure people could be successful with Kubernetes and an environment that really doesn't want you to have to run Kubernetes, like stateful workloads on bare metal without having lots of money to throw at storage appliances is really hard. Um, and those are the problems that I've tried to help solve within the community. So that's why Kubernetes, a series of unfortunate events, working at some interesting companies, trying to solve problems at scale. Now it just seems that everybody's on Kubernetes regardless of their scale. I think the API has become so ubiquitous that it's actually, even if you're not microservice, even if you're not scaling to hundreds of nodes, just working to that common API, leveraging tools like Flagger and Captain, et cetera, it's, it's actually a negative on your organization not to be deploying to Kubernetes. To some degree, of course, there's always mm-hmm. edge cases in niche, but that's why I'm in Kubernetes. Uh, the other question was, why am I independent, right? So I've worked for some really cool open source companies. Um, when I started in DevRel, um, I've always found, by the way, I, I, I enjoy helping other people be successful more than delivering products to the like, users. So I moved into DevRel working for Influx Data and helping people with InfluxDB. That was awesome. I spent like two years there. Um, I moved on to help some friends at Equinix Metal. Had a lot of fun going back to my bare metal roots, doing Kubernetes there. And then kind of got, like I've always been interested in Pulumi and I think it's a really great product. And I went and worked there for a year and I worked with some amazing people. Like my teammates were great. My boss was great. There are some people at Pulumi that are not so great. I wouldn't name names, but we had a disagreement and I decided to move on. And I just decided that, you know, I, I just don't want to invest my time into something that I don't believe in anymore. Mm-hmm. And I really just thought, you know what, now is the time to just go on my own. Like I've spent the last 10 years tweeting loads of bullshit. People seem to like the bullshit, building up that brand, building up all my experience. And I figured, let's just do it. And which is a hard decision to make when you have a one-year-old, a four-year-old and a wife, right? Like she's like, you want to do what? You want to walk away from your job that pays you quite well and start your own company? And I was like, yeah, is that right? Can I do that? And fortunately, she was very supportive. So here we are. I'm now out there helping startups in the cloud native space, producing content for people that are building really awesome products and still um, trying to be as authentic and credible to myself as I can and helping as many people along the way. Yeah, I, I would say for me, it was pretty similar. You know, I, I kind of just like accidentally fell into Kubernetes in 2016. I was working at a startup that wanted to test out the latest and greatest. And, you know, now it's 2023 and, and here I am. Uh, and, it, and it benefited because, you know, nobody kind of knew where it was going to go. Like, was it going to be Mesos? Was it going to be Swarm? Nobody, you know, there was a couple of like other orchestration projects. I, before that I was building orchestrators, you know, with, with whatever jobbled up code I could get in to, to deploy stuff, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that's kind of what, like we were all doing in, in one way or another. So that's really cool. That, that, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, being independent, it's, there's there's nothing quite like it you know when i when i kind of just started going out on my own my son was i think three or two and and you know being a single dad i was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh gotta make this work (laughs) so yes that's a lot of pressure when you have dependents like people that count on you to kind of deliver put food the table and all that but you know kubernetes is a very exciting phase i'll also predicate this right Docker Swarm was the easiest tool. Marathon and Mesos was the better tool. And yet we're stuck with Kubernetes. I'm not sure how that happened. And again, I'm going to put some blame on Kelsey Hightower, but we are stuck with it now. It is ubiquitous now. We have a foundation built purely on top of it, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. We have a sold out KubeCon in Amsterdam with 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And people always tell to me, they always say like, why do you work in such a small niche? And I'm like, this is not a niche. Like, right. We are seeing so much critical and mass adoption of the Kubernetes API, even beyond the simple use case of just orchestrating containers. Like entire companies and new sectors are being built on this API and extending it to their own thing. And I just think it's so exciting right now. Very, very good space to be in. 
I think like for me, I have always been working as an in-house engineer, like starting with full stack development and then moving towards more platform engineering and working more with with Kubernetes and uh, maintaining the platform built on top of it. And I could say that for many, just the sound of being an independent consultant sounds scary because <laughs> you don't have that all those benefits and all that safe safety harbor that an organization or an enterprise can provide for you and that like sounds uh, like a very tough tough decision to take so like when you decided that like did you use some time to like feel totally sure okay now i think i'm ready or did you like I don't know. <laughs> woke up one day and decided, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start, start on my own. Like, how did you know that it was time? Do you need to have a big personal brand to take such a decision, or, or not? <laughs> Tough question. There was, <laughs> you know, the flow, the flow of my, uh, of my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I had been talking on Twitter for a while about, you know, I had been building my YouTube channel for about 18 months and you know it's it's not huge but then i have again my youtube channel is not for people learning kubernetes like I, nobody who's just new to kubernetes is going to learn anything from my channel my channel is like for people that have been doing kubernetes for five years and want to go deeper so like you know my goal is not to have fifty thousand or hundred thousand subscribers it's to speak to a very small niche and i'd always wanted to really push that more and build my own company and i talked on twitter about it and five years, here's what I want to be to start my own company. And I didn't just, I, I kind of did just wake up and go, you know what, like today's the day. And I don't know what that moment was. I just, I think I got frustrated with my day job. I knew I had to line something up quickly to go on my own because I can't just go without a paycheck for three months. So you have to kind of start putting out feelers and talking to people and, and planning. But yeah, I kind of did just wake up and go, today's the day, and then send a few emails. And I'm very lucky. I did have a personal brand. You know, I do have a Twitter account that has 12,000 followers on it. Um, I But I didn't leverage that to start my company because it's kind of weird if you're working for a company to go out there and tweet and say, hey, I'm looking for clients. I'm going to go independent and not kind of inform your existing employer. So you can use some of your network, people you're friendly with, and just get that first. For me, all I needed was one yes one variable yes from someone to say yeah if you do this we'll we work with you and we can do something together and that was just enough not motivation i had the motivation but it was enough confidence that the people that were dependent on me weren't going to go hungry so to speak Mm -hmm. so um, and i just kind of worked on it from there um and it's, it's been great, but I've, I've had two really strong principles that i refuse to kind of violate as part of my business um because and I'm, I'm sure Michael can kind of hopefully agree with me here, but when you work for yourself in this kind of space, the only two things you really have are your credibility and your authenticity. And if you violate them, you're doomed. So I'm fortunate enough that a lot of companies say, hey, can you come and make content for us? And then I look at their product and I'm, I always mm-hmm. have to think like, would I really use this? Mm-hmm. Like if I had to bring this into my company tomorrow, would I still have the same excitement I had when I first adopted SaltStack or when I first assaulted Kubernetes? And if the answer is no, then I can't do it. Because the minute I start going out there and say, hey, go buy Heinz tomato ketchup, people are going to be like, what? what are you talking about? Like, how is that? What? what? Like, it just, you lose that branding, you lose that authenticity, your credibility will quickly, quickly follow. So um, those are the two things that are really important to me when I work with with companies and two things that I, I can't violate. And I'd be very lucky, like Michael and I do work with some same clients, similar clients. Um, and we're also spoiled for choice because there's a lot of really cool products in the cloud native space mm-hmm. as well that really do genuinely excite me. And I'm fortunate enough to work with a few of them. Yeah, I, I got to really echo, David, what you're saying. The, the, authentic, uh, the authenticity, if I can speak properly today, peace and being real and honest I, I i can't stress how much more important that is than figuring out where the money's coming from and it sounds probably stupid but honestly like i have i, I, I almost daily at least 3 times a week i i constantly get reached out to hey can you promote our product hey can you post a, something on linkedin about it cuz you know Oh, I'm, I think 23 or 24,000 followers on LinkedIn at this point. So now people are starting to see that and they're like, oh, can you post this? Can you post that? And I always say no. 
And, and I'm, I'm not walking away from like a small amount of money here. We're talking thousands of dollars walking away from uh, weekly <laughs> because I, I can't be the person that just says, hey, go check out this product. Like I got to use it. I got to see how it works, et cetera. Like I can't just be the, and, and this is, uh, you know, funny enough, people are saying, oh, you're a tech influencer. I'm like, please don't call me that because I'm not a tech influencer in the slightest. I walk away from the money that's going to pay me to be a tech influencer. You know, I, even like the content that I create, I tell everybody right off the bat, I am not, I am not lead gen. I am not top of funnel. I am very middle of funnel. And for those of you listening that don't uh, uh, understand where that sits, top of funnel is like lead gen, like thousands of followers, get eyes on my product, et cetera. Middle of funnel is the engineering bit, the, okay, this is how it actually works, et cetera. And that's always been my brand. My brand has always been, I'm not going to teach you how to use a te- uh, to technology. I'm going to teach you how to use it in production. I'm going to teach you how to use it in your day to day. I'm going to showcase this to you. So you're not just learning about it. You're like actually able to take it and say, go use it. Here's how you can actually use it in your production environment. And, you know, uh, again, David, going back to what you said, being authentic and, and being honest and straightforward, it's, it, it's so crucial to what you do, because if you're trying to be an independent consultant, if you're trying to, you know, uh, be in this space and, you know, make a name for yourself and build this brand, if you take all the money that gets thrown at you, if you just BS people, people will start to see that and it will become understood faster than you probably think. Yeah, exactly. You've got to focus on the long-term products, your brand, the content, and what that play looks like rather than short-term financial gain. Um, I completely agree with you. Like I I always tell clients too, like I'm not a marketing person. I'm not top of funnel. Please don't come to me and say, I'll give you this much money for these many views because look, we just are not, the value proposition for me doesn't align with what you're looking for. And there are loads of great people out there. If you just want 10,000 views in a video, go speak to these people. These are the exact people you need to be talking to. But if you want, you know, high quality, deep dive content on your product with a feedback loop to your engineers and how to be better product market fit, how to build better docs, how to make your product more useful in a production-like environment, yes, we can have a conversation. Because I want to make content that's going to be online for your future customers that already understand your value proposition and then they want to solve real world problems. That's where the content fits in. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to hear someone else actually have the exact same <laughs> kind of value, the proposition, understand the market, because I feel like I'm always having to kind of say the same thing over and over and over again. And no. you're right, it's because, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up soon, but it's because there's so many companies out there that are early phase. They just want eyeballs on their product. They see you out there making content and they assume, oh, we're a good fit. We'll just give you money. No, sorry, actually, that's not where I am in the game. So. Yep. I was literally just thinking that in my head as you were talking, I was like, it's so nice to hear somebody. And, and this sounds crazy, right? Cause, cause you know, some people may think, Oh, competition, but like, I don't think that way. Like in my head, I'm like, it's so nice to hear somebody saying the same things that I say, because it, it, it almost validation, right? Like almost validation. Like, okay, if somebody else is doing it, I think I'm on, I think I'm on an RA track because <laughs> you know, like being independent, like you don't know. You know, you kind of wake up and you're like, is this thing going to work next month? I'm not sure, but, but we're going to keep it going. <laughs> yeah, but that makes uh, a lot of uh, a lot of sense to me, at least. Like these are very good principles, which I can imagine sometimes can be challenging, challenging to keep, especially when you don't have that guarantee that every month you will earn that that much, uh, especially if you don't necessarily have long term uh, contracts, for instance, or you're not sure how many customers you're going to get in the months to come. And then you have put a lot of effort to build that brand, to build that audience that gives you trust, that entrusts in that you share the valuable content based on like your experience and trust in that this is something that can work in production. And then if you start just saying yes to something that you have not necessarily used in production or tested enough and then in reality it will not work at all for a production setting then you kind of it takes one i don't uh, i don't know if there is a saying about it but it takes if you can break up that trust very quickly 
compared to how much time you use to build that that trust for such a large community. Totally. Yeah. I mean, especially engineers. And, and, and I think this is the key difference between being an engineer that just so happens to create content and being a tech influencer. 99% of the people that follow me are engineers. You know, if you look at the, if you look at the titles, it's principal, this, you know, senior, that, et cetera. It's very easy for them to see if you're BSing or not, you know, versus, you know, on the other side, if, if you're not uh, an engineer and if you are uh, just talking about products, et cetera, like that's a completely different audience. But if I just, you know, to your point, Christine, like if I just started to just say random stuff that, that or not random stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm totally not saying that the right way. If I, you know, begin to just speak about technology at a higher level, because that's not my audience, they're going to be able to see that right away. And if you're not being authentic and if you're, you know, uh, claiming that you know something and you don't, engineers will be able to sniff that out right away. So it's, it's so incredibly crucial to just be, you know, be open and honest. That's why, like, if you, if you look at, you know, so my social media and stuff like that, I've said a million times openly, no, nah, I was wrong about this because I refuse to be the person that's like, I know everything. It's not worth it. <laughs> and nobody knows everything. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, I think if anyone watches any of my streams, they'll see me looking stupid 50% of the time and making <laughs> mistakes. Because let's face it, right? If you're not making mistakes, if you're not saying, I don't know, then you've stopped learning. And at that point, it's game over. And for me, the more mistakes I make, the better I improve, the better I become. But I'm, I'll also follow up to what Michael said there is like, authenticity is important. Like I, I speak to the audience that I have an authentic story to tell. Um, I'm an experienced engineer first, that makes content. And I want to focus on that. That doesn't mean anyone's listening who's like, oh, I don't have 20 years experience. Can I make content? Hell yeah, of course you can. But keep it authentic to your story, your persona. If you're just new to Kubernetes, make content on learning Kubernetes because there is a huge audience out there and you have a perspective that you can give that I can't. So, and I always just tell people, it doesn't, you don't need a huge following to make content. Uh, you just have to deliver content that's authentic to you and the story that you're telling and the journey that you're on. And there's people out there doing the same thing that will resonate with that. And as long as you stick to that, you'll be successful. And for me, it just happens to be I'm I'm old and I've been playing with Kubernetes for too long. So that's the story that I have to tell. So. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I I think it's also incredibly crucial. Like if you want to be an independent consultant, uh, you don't have to pick Kubernetes. You can pick whatever you want. But how can I put it? I would say try to pick something that number one, you enjoy. Like it's gotta be something that you like. Cause here's the reality. As long as you become good at something, the money's going to come. It, it, I, I always tell people and everybody uh, thinks I'm crazy. You know, like the money's the easy part, getting so good at somebody that no, uh, getting so good at something that nobody can ignore you. That's the hard part. Once you're good at something, people are going to pay you for it. So you got to pick what you actually enjoy and what you're good at or what you want to be good at. You don't have to be good at it right now, but something that you want to be good at. And then after that, I also think it's important to think about choosing something that not everybody is doing. Like, for example, if you look on social media right now, you see Kubernetes this and Kubernetes that. But when you sit down and talk about Kubernetes and implementing Kubernetes in scalable production environments, there are very few people talking about how to actually do that properly. David, you're one of them. Christina, you're another one of them. There are very few people that are actually talking about truly implementing Kubernetes the right way in real world scenarios. I just wanted to say, like when you said, if you look at social media and you see a lot about Kubernetes, I needed to ask, do you see more about Kubernetes these days or do you see more about OpenAI and ChatGPT? Because my feed has changed significantly <laughs> for yeah. the last days when I see more of that type of content. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm almost nervous to say this publicly because I'm scared that people are going to bring the pitchforks. I've never used ChatGPT. I don't know. I just haven't. However, uh, I did start contributing to Kate's GPT. I've been I've been contributing uh, to the docs and, and, and such, and, and I'm going to be doing uh, more with them. But I just, I don't know, like it's never, it hasn't like, there hasn't been something that's been like, let's try it out. But 
the 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 Kate's GPT piece. That I saw that and I was like, oh, I gotta try that out. <laughs> but yes, I, I've definitely seen a lot of uh, just my 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 feeds are full of of a lot of AI and open AI stuff, and I think it's cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, that's why I saw Kate's GPT and I was like, I gotta try that out, and it's awesome. Uh, but you know, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, and a lot, I'm seeing, uh, more and more Wasm come up now as well on my feed. Um, Nigel Poulton, awesome, awesome, awesome trainer in the, in the Kubernetes space. He's been chatting a lot about Wasm lately uh, and I'm seeing more and more of it pop up too. Yeah. So I, I would say those are the two uh, big things that I'm seeing pop up. Yeah. WebAssembly is definitely an area I've been invested more time. I'm a big fan of WebAssembly and I keep kicking the tires on it more and more and being more impressed. But with regards to the open AI and the chat GPT stuff, of course, it's everywhere. And I think because it is useful to almost everybody, which is a really weird thing to say, but I have been using chat GPT. And in fact, I'll give you an idea for you, Michael, right? Get the transcript from this session and drop it into chat GPT and then tell it to summarize it in three paragraphs and as your show notes. Like, Oh, really? It's, re it's really good at those kind of things. In fact, nice. I've started feeding it the, the transcripts from YouTube videos and just telling it to give me the highlights. And then I'm like, okay, I'll maybe watch the rest of that video now because it's just a lot quicker yeah. than me skimming through the description, looking at the time segments, picking out a few bits. Um, yeah, and another really cool one I've been doing is just pulling out tabular data from unstructured data mm. uh, where you just say like, find me all the prices of these products from this big blob that I've copied from some other website. And it just spits them out. And I say, actually the format I want it in is YAML and it does it. And it's like, cool. Like wow. it's really good at those kind of tasks. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll see more and more of that as well, especially with Microsoft being so heavily backing it now and VS code and Copilot. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I use Copilot every day. It's like it reads my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all gpt based so i'm gonna i'm gonna try it with the show notes yeah that's a good idea yeah i haven't like i said i haven't found like a specific purpose or reason to give it a shot but i'm gonna i'm gonna do it with that and let me let me ask you this question and and both of you please tell me uh to shut up or tell me if i'm thinking about this the wrong way because maybe i am i don't know i i like to be wrong though so please let me know <laughs> I, I was having a conversation uh, recently and so uh, something that I've been trying to do for a client recently is I'm trying to like bootstrap the entire um, Argo server experience, not like the deployment of the app, but the like you have to log in for the first time and to do that you have to get the initial password and then you have to update the password. So like little things like that, like that that day one stuff, I'm, I'm trying, I'm just uh, writing some code to bootstrap this for them. And I was having a conversation uh, about it. I was like, I wonder like the best way to do this. And somebody said, did you ask ChatGPT? And, and immediately in my head, I'm like, no, I'm like, everybody, we still have to think we still have to use our brains. Let's not like just send everything that way. I, am I thinking about it the wrong way? Or, or am I thinking about it in a logical way of like, now, nah, hold on a second. We, we should still think about like how we want to do things versus just asking quick or maybe i don't know maybe i am thinking about it the wrong way because what happens when i don't know something google i agree with you i think where chat gpt excels is if the answer has been done before or is derivative unfortunately for kubernetes uh, a lot of it requires novel thinking mm -hmm. like Maybe people haven't done that bootstrap set before or haven't come up with a good way to do it. Maybe it requires a new controller. Maybe it requires a new custom resource definition. Like it's never going to be able to give you that novel mm -hmm. thing. It's only going to be able to say, oh, well, in uh, my database, someone did the similar thing before. Maybe you could do that. And I don't think it's a really great fit for those kind of applications, which is why I was quite verbal on Twitter. I'm not sure KHGPD can work. And I actually put out a challenge to Alex to join Clustered and, mm -hmm. and use his project because i think it's good if it's scanned the docs and it has knowledge it can fix simple typos but mm. can it fix malicious intent i'm not entirely sure but i would love to put it to the challenges for sure yeah so i um i actually played around with it a little bit and i thought it was interesting but sim simply because of this when and i made a video about this on my youtube channel i'm not trying to plug myself but it is there <laughs> if anybody wants to see it um <laughs> so like, let's say like you got an issue in a pod or something, right? Well, you know, you got to first go get the pod name, then you got to run a describe on it, or then you got to run a log on it. Oh, there's nothing there. All right, let's run a describe. All right, let's go see what it is. Yada, yada. Kate's GPT, you just kind of like run the analyze and it just like spits out all the information for you. And I'm like, that's 
cool. I don't have to run all these commands in an imperative fashion. This thing is just going to tell me what the problems are in my, in my cluster with my pods. And, and that was like the big, like when I saw that, I was like, that's going to save me a lot of time. I don't need to, you know, it, it, it makes me think about like automation in general. Like when we started scripting 10 plus years ago, why did we start doing it? Cause we did the same thing a gajillion million billion times. We, we didn't want to do it anymore. We didn't have to. Same thing with this. I don't have to run kubectl describe and logs on a pod anymore. I already know how to do that. I just need the information. So that, that's why I thought it was cool. Like Christine, I don't know if you, uh, if you looked at it at all or yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I've looked at it and I've been, I've been using it, uh, for, for some time, uh, now as part, as part of my work. So I think like from my experience, I, I do agree on many of the points that both you and David, uh, mentioned, like if, as long as you, understand where chat gpt can be useful then you know kind of how to use it in a good manner and i think a good quote here would be trust but verify because i've had a few like actual discussions with chat gpt where it gave me total bs something that does not exist uh, but it the, the the thing with chat gpt is that when it gives you the answer it is absolutely sure about this answer being the correct one and if you confront it it's like it, it just takes a step back and and says like sorry okay i must have been wrong so being aware of this and being aware of like verifying the information that that it provides you is definitely a good idea and the other uh, thing that I also feel like there are many discussions about, okay, now that we have ChatGPT and OpenAI, we will replace a lot of, uh, a lot of specialists at, at the companies and then we can just replace them with ChatGPT. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think this is, this is true because I look at it as something that could help you minimize the repetitive, boring tasks and can help you work efficiently. But when it comes to taking the decisions, finding the ways how to do things in the most optimal and uh, good way we are still that is our strength as humans and the experience we have i don't feel like chat gpt can do that so yeah I, you know what i think you have both changed my mind i think i was looking at the value proposition of kgpt wrong it's not to give me the answers to the problems it's to give me more information to help me make a decision and i think if i apply it in that context it probably is really good because I think what GPT is good at is when there's a right and a wrong answer to something is they can probably tell you what the right answer is. Like a good use case, uh, you know, are you familiar with Armel and Kubescape? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So it does policies against the cluster. And if you've ever written any Regal, right, it's really hard, right? Like, I, I mean, I've been writing Regal for a couple of years now and I still struggle with the most simple policies. Um, but Armo have this thing on their platform where you type in what you want the policy to be and GPT generates it based on its history and context of all the other policies. Mm. And because it knows what a policy looks like and it knows what a Kubernetes manifest is, it's actually really good at just generating a Regal. Mm. And then, of course, you put your eyeballs on it. Like you said, trust but verify. And so those kind of approaches, I think, work really well. But I don't think it can ever replace people who have been operating Kubernetes, have experience in Kubernetes, can use their intuition to work backwards from a problem, something that GPT isn't necessarily good at. Yeah, that, that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think even, you know, little tools like this, or not little, but you know what I mean, chat GPT, um, <laughs> going back to, uh, you know, being independent, I think things like this can make our lives even a little bit easier, possibly, you know, because, you know, for, for David and I, for example, uh, you know, we're by ourselves. So, you know, if we have like some, like you said, those basic questions to ask, to confirm, to verify something like that, it's, and I, I feel that I've, I've seen this on social media. I could be wrong. Maybe I was just dreaming about this, but, uh, even like a, an, almost like a virtual assistant in a sense. Yeah, definitely. In fact, something I did with GPT just two weeks ago, I was working with a client and they asked me for an SLA and I've never done an SLA before. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I asked chat GPT to generate me an SLA with these constraints and these circumstances that was legally binding and in the UK. And it gave me one. That's now awesome. I'm not a lawyer, but I could verify it, but it looked good enough to me. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. <laughs> but, but, sign and pray, sign and pray. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But you know, it's got access to the internet. I'm sure it has seen hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of 
SLEs and contractual agreements that mm-hmm. are binding in certain jurisdictions so they can work it out. And it looked really good. So I was like, yeah, you'll do it. I, I shipped it. So there you um, go. Awesome. And it's hard when you're, like you said, as an independent consultant, right? I don't get to just do engineering anymore or make content. I have to do all of the business. I have to do the accounting. I have to do the invoicing. I have to do the follow-up with clients. I have to learn how to work CRMs. I have to do my own social media management now, which goes beyond what I used to do, which was just BS all the time. Now I actually have to put out real content too. And I have to promote all my old content. I have to be doing top of funnel stuff and I have to be dealing with leads and yeah, like virtual assistants are great, but they cost money. And maybe chat GPT can be coming in and helping people like us take over more of those kind of laborious tasks that do have a right and a wrong answer. Totally. So now we have to go and create a new product called VAGPT. I know, right? <laughs> Get some VC money and we'll be good to go. Yeah, it's just uh, a Slack bot that I go to every day and go, do I need to send any invoices today? And it can just say, yes, you have to send this one and this one and this one. Exactly. Yeah, it, it would be, I don't know if this is there yet or not, but it would be nice to do like the make me a dinner reservation type of deal. You know what I mean? Like do like little things like that, you know, like stuff that like I don't have to stop and like call and be like, ah, and then, you know, even though it's 10 minutes, it's still, it's something, you know, so even well, stuff like that. Google promises that. Like two years ago, I.O., they had duplex. I don't know if you've seen that, Google duplex. Like you say to Google Assistant, make me a reservation at this restaurant. And then this AI calls the restaurant, makes the reservation, and then sends it in your calendar. But I don't think it ever launched. Huh. That that, that mm. would save me so much time. Yeah, yeah. Google, Google Google duplex. But they, they, they tried to launch this thing, and I don't know if it worked or failed. or there was. I think there was actually ethical concerns about a robot phoning up and making reservations under this, yeah. some other clip. I don't know. Tough. Interesting. <laughs> huh. Cool. All righty. So th- thinking about uh, a couple of uh, more questions before we start wrapping up here, Christina, did you, did you have anything that you wanted to ask David Pryor? Yeah, I think uh, uh, I have at least one question, which I'm really curious about because <clears throat> working as an independent consultant, you get that a big benefit, as I see in this role, is that you get to work in different projects. So this is like a super opportunity to get uh, a really broad experience in, for instance, uh, Kubernetes. So in your experience as an independent consultant, what were like the most challenging or exciting projects that you have been involved in? If you can, if you're allowed to tell in a more generic way, like what fun stuff did you do with Kubernetes in any of those uh, of those projects? I'll start off by tackling it slightly differently because you mentioned the word challenge. And the hardest thing I've found right, since going independent is that, you know, context is everything. And I, I would always say that I've done enough Kubernetes. That I know the right way and the wrong way to do it. And what I find time and time again when I meet with people now it's like they're doing something this way in Kubernetes. And my first, my gut reaction is like knee jerk. No, wrong. Don't do that. <laughs> but then you learn more and you're like, oh, you've got this. Oh, that's interesting. And it's like, they have these other constraints. They have these other dynamics. They're trying to do something that doesn't fit your stereotypical scale of container up, VPA done, job done, get up, sit, blah, blah, blah. Easy. Um, everybody's clusters are wildly different. I haven't came across anyone who's just like, yeah, oh, we do GKE, we have Argo CD, it's got a steel running on it, DNS, easy job done. Um, because they're not the ones looking for help, right? The people that are looking for help are the people that are off the beaten track. And I have to actually cast aside all of these preconceptions I have about what they should be doing, because you really need to dig into their problem domain, understand what their constraints are, and then make it work. And, you know, I'm working with a company that's building their entire multi-tenant SaaS platform on top of Kubernetes and their constraints are just different. You know, they're a SOC 2 compliant company uh, and that brings a whole bunch of challenges, like the way that they interact with data, the way they interact with customers' data, the way that they handle backup and restore. They've got customers that want VPC peering into their own infrastructure and there's just all these things that they're building on top of it. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. And there's, there's like, normally I can just say, oh, go use this open source project. It does all this. There's not. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay. So actually what I'm helping them do is not go and find all these open source projects, but helping them, okay, I've got experience about my own controllers. Here's where we start. Let's get Builder involved, right? What do we need to do? How do we model these CRDs? What do we need to represent? Um, and those are, the, those are the best challenges because that's where you really get to take that experience you have from the last 
three years, four years, six years, whatever, and apply it to something novel. And it's also the most fun use of my time, I find. So. I don't know if I answered your question or answered a different question, but I hope. <laughs> oh, I think that was interesting. And I think you get to learn uh, quite quite a lot of things in the process as well, which is definitely... Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm a selfish person. I only work with these companies because <laughs> I want to learn from them too, right? Like, it's not just about me distilling my experience and knowledge to them. It's like, I, I get to be a sponge for all these weird, <laughs> unique constraints and circumstances. And all of that makes me better. And hopefully I make them better at the same time. So there's always this mutual flow of information with every company and every client that you work with which is why doing youtube is one of those other really selfish things i did like yeah of course i want to have a youtube channel have fun playing with technology but i managed to rope in maintainers from pretty much every cloud native sandbox project and have them sit on a stream with me for 90 minutes and show me their project not because I, like i want to learn how to use it but i want to know more like what's the history what's the context why did you build it why is it even called this silly name like what is that um, and i just love absorbing all this information from people so yeah i'm just a selfish person that's it <laughs> you heard it here first folks no <laughs> no that's awesome yeah i totally agree with that as well i mean i think for me being independent, you know, I like being able to do my own thing. I like being able to work on multiple projects. I like being able to be my own boss. I like the ability to say yes, no. That's very difficult in a full-time job. It's very difficult to say yes, no. It's very difficult to say, no, this is the best practice without, you know, somebody saying something, something politics, something, something management, something, something. This is why we have to do it. It happens all the time. It's in every full-time job. I, that was my biggest reason that I wanted to go independent. I hated that answer. Um, I always just wanted to do things the right way. And that's incredibly hard, unfortunately. And the other thing is that focusing, having a niche like Kubernetes, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes here because Kubernetes isn't actually a niche. They look at, uh, you know, folks look at me and they're like, oh, you're, you have this niche, you're doing Kubernetes. I'm like, yes, but that niche alone is going to keep me busy for years because there's so much to it. So being independent, picking something broad yet as a niche as Kubernetes, it was a, a game changer for me. Yeah. I mean, Kubernetes has grown so much that it's now forming smaller niches or niche, niches. I can't even, I don't even know how to pronounce it now, but the editor can pick whatever one they want, but like, you know, we have service mesh and then we've got the WebAssembly offshoot, which is now having Kubernetes support for the RunWazi project and Docker's entered this space. You know, we then got all of the really cool networking stuff in eBPF. So there's, there's this other subsection that's coming out. There's the bare metal aspect of it. If people want to build their own platforms, there's even the platform engineering bit on top of it, which is like taking IEC to that next level and giving us self-service. Like, at what point do we have to turn around and just accept that like, Kubernetes isn't this small little thing anymore? It's now fostering innovation across the entire stack. And I think you're right. Like, we're not going to have to worry about work for many years because Kubernetes is going to continue to grow and grow. People are adopting it more and more. And when we get bored, we'll find the next shiny thing, and that's going to grow too, hopefully. So. Exactly. There WebAssembly, everybody. WebAssembly, not only I. <laughs> there you go. All right. So before we wrap up, Christina, I just wanted to ask, do you have anything else that you would like to ask, David? Yeah, since we are wrapping up, I can ask my last question. Uh, for those who may be considering to uh, start and independently, like if you have top three things, if you have top one thing up to you, what to think about while making this transition or considering making this transition to be independent? Like top one or top three things that are worth thinking about when taking that decision? The things that people should consider are they're going to go independent. Uh, just really to self-reflection. Understand why you want to make that leap. It, it's not like, I can come on here and say it's great. I've got amazing clients. I love the work that I do, but it's not easy. Um, you know, there are fears you just don't know. There's no consistency. There's no commitments. It can be difficult to know where you're going to be in six months time. And you have to be prepared for that. So yeah, reflect, take a look, understand why you want to make that transition. If you understand this, so you just want more freedoms, then maybe there's other ways to do that. And um, it could be a lateral movement in your assistant organization to another role that gives you the same freedoms that you would get. So just, I don't know ask yourself those difficult questions. And if you come out of it and say, hey, yeah, I think going independent really is what I should be doing. 
it's just work out what that looks like and and have commitments that you say this is what I'm going to do like for me I said I will never work and open a laptop on a weekend because I have two young children and I stick by that and my clients appreciate that and I built my business around this model that I am available at these certain times what you don't want to do is overcommit too early like I know it's really easy to do it's like oh okay I've got my first client and they want the earth the moon and the sun and the sea and it's like yeah sure you can have it like you can't overcommit because you're never going to be able to deliver that so just respect your own personal boundaries and set those constraints early and build a business that is you know scalable and feasible not just physically but mentally for you as a person too and then you're off on a really solid foundation right you know what you want to do you're making the steps to do it you've built constraints to keep yourself happy because burnout is it's so easy to fall into when you're working for yourself because you've got nobody to answer to but yourself. You feel compelled to do more, to keep people happy, to make more money, to have more, you know, safeties and all these guarantees. It's just so real and challenging. And I can't stress enough that you just really need to set those boundaries early and think about your mental and physical well-being. Make sure you do the thing that you love doing as well. Um, again, it's very easy for me. Like I love making content. I love doing engineering. Those are the two things that I want to continue to keep doing. Of course, people reach out and they want me to do other things. Maybe they want me to go and do on-site training. Maybe they want me to uh, go speak at conferences for them. And the minute it starts to feel like work and you take away the joy from it, again, you're going to lead down that path to burnout. So just know what it is that you like doing find more of that and and really focus and hone in on it as well. I think that's really great that you also bring up that that side of the story as well, that it's not just rainbows and unicorns and you get all the freedom and it's all just uh, just perfect uh, <laughs> forever and ever, that there are also downsides. And I think this is highly, could be highly appreciated, to, like that honesty about what it actually takes. To, yeah, I've got um, a couch behind me that. that I'm not afraid to say <laughs> that I've, I've lay on a few times and just had a wee sob to myself going, what the hell am I doing? But, you know, <laughs> hopefully most of the time you, you're getting it right and you're making improvements and reflection is an important part of that. But of course, we all have moments of where we're a little bit down and just embrace them too. Those are a sign that you should listen to and follow. Hmm. I think that if if everything is always going right, you're doing something wrong. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But that, that's been something that I've often seen, you know, like you, you have to take risks, you have to try, like if you, if you stay in the safe zone, uh, you're never going to excel in the way that you want to excel and you're, you're ultimately never going to live the life that you want to live. And that, that was such a big thing for me going independent. It was like, I know what I want to do. And I know that if I want to do it, I just have to just go do it and then just give it a shot. I mean, you know, in my head, I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I'd just go get a job. <laughs> but, you know, like that, that was always my mentality or, you know, my mentality was always like, it's going to take the bank like a year to take my house if I don't pay my mortgage. <laughs> you know, like I, I always, I tried my best to always have that mindset because if you had, if you're not thinking about like what are the bills, this and that, yada, yada, like it gives you the ability to take more risk. And typically if you do things right and if you do your homework, more risk, more reward. That's what they that's what they always say, right? Of course, you're always gonna have a downtime and you know, clients are gonna say no and work is gonna slow and this and that. And you're always gonna have that as an independent consultant. But ultimately, if you think logically through your approach, if you plan it properly, and if you take risks, and I like um if I don't know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Hyatt awesome author. Uh, he, he like owns a company called Full Focus with his daughter. Um, his daughter's the CEO and he's like the, the president and the chairman, I think. And he has a lot of really great books. And uh, there's something that he coined called Smarter, Smarter Goals. And the R in Smarter Goals is risk. But he talks about like, you don't want to be in your comfort zone because then you're never going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. But you also don't want to be in what he calls the delusion zone where, you know, like for me, for example, like I don't play golf. I'm not going to go play in the PGA tour because that would be ridiculous. That would be delusional. But, you know, there's something in the middle where you have a good idea that it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, there's contingency there and that, you know, you could take a little bit of that riskier goal. And, and I think that's incredibly crucial being uh, independent as well as taking those those risks. Hmm. Cool. All righty. So with that, David, I would like to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want, your 
courses, your site, your YouTube, your books. I don't know if you have any books, um, any, anything, anything you want to do, please plug away. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening, you like Kubernetes, you want to learn more about Kubernetes uh, down to the stupid details that nobody ever talks about. In fact, I'll give you an example, right? Rather than just saying we deep dive on my channel, right? The Kubelet has a flag on it called run once. And neither of you tell me why that exists or what it does. I've actually never heard of that, but I'm going to imagine it means that it does an initial check-in to make sure that the health of a container is good and then it never tries it again. That's my guess. Chris, you got anything? I'll go with <laughs> with Michael's <laughs> suggestion. I haven't heard about it either. Exactly, right. Nor should you. Nobody should know why this flag exists. But it, <laughs> it, 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 it runs the couplet once uh, it goes into the static manifest directory it starts all of the static pods and then quits completely useless however if you go back through the commit history that i'm inclined to do because i'm a very curious person the flag was added to help bootstrapping clusters where the kubelet itself runs as a static pod oh. so you actually have this process where you download the kubelet binary you say run once the static manifests are available the kubelet is in there it starts itself and then hands over and becomes managed under kubernetes Interesting. So for like kubeadm, like if you're bootstrapping with kubeadm and you got all your components just on the control plane? It kind of predates kube, kubeadm, kubeadmin, okay. yeah. Um, and kubeadmin now actually prefers to run the kubelet as a systemd process with everything else being inside the containers. But this was, again, it's just one of those flags that's kind of antiquated now, but still there, still there when you do dash dash help, you can still use it. But at some point, I'm sure we'll deprecate it. Um, uh, just for fun, because I enjoyed stuff like this. I'll give you one more. What is the default DNS policy on a Kubernetes pod? Default DNS policy? Like in terms of like if it's using core DNS or not? Or what do you, what do you mean? There's a property called uh. DNS policy. And there is a DNS policy called default. Now, of course, do you think that's a default? I'm gonna it's say a loaded no. question, of course. <laughs> Can I ask ChatGPT <laughs> about it? <laughs> <laughs> you could try. I mean, I had no idea what ChatGPT is going to say, but it's not the default policy. Uh, and it's just one of these quirks that lives in the source code from way back yonder. The default policy is cluster first, which is to check the cluster to see if the DNS uh, record is available before going to the default DNS policy, which checks the internet. Mm. So like, if these two things pique your interest, you find them amusing, you want to learn more, then my channel is a great place to come and go into those weird parts of Kubernetes that most people don't go into. So check out the Rockwood Academy um, on YouTube, and I hope you enjoy. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. Really appreciate you joining. And thank you for everybody listening.